The topic I chose tonight, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world, perhaps fits quite well at this time. Let me express my feelings about this topic by an illustration. There was this man that was being interviewed for a truck driving job. His name was Bubba and was asking, Bubba, we just want to know what kind of a driver you would be and what would you do? And he created a situation. And he says, if you were driving down this highway and you lost your brakes and it's just descending, it's really steep and the truck's picking up speed and there's no off-ramps that sometimes you see those off-ramps that trucks could, that have lost their brakes could go flying up on this ramp. There is no ramp like that on the side of a mountain. You're in deep trouble. The guy pauses for a moment and says, I'd wake up Leroy. And he says, well, who's Leroy? Leroy is the other truck driver. He's asleep back in the cab. And he says, well, why would you wake up Leroy? Because Leroy ain't ever seen an accident like this before. You know, as we approach this subject, why does God allow suffering and evil in this world? You know, some people struggle with this. They struggle to believe that there is a God that's in the world. They struggle to believe that there's a God that's sovereign. You know, one of the favorite justifications for people in not believing in God or believing in the Word of God and believing in His truth would be this whole issue that okay, you claim that God is loving, that He's compassionate, the God that cares. You claim that He's all-powerful and all-knowing. Then why is there suffering in the world if that's true? How can you tell me an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, a God that's filled with compassion would allow suffering in the world? And they'll come to one of two conclusions. Either He's not all-knowing and He didn't know this would happen, or that he's not all-powerful, he's not able to stop it. Or they may even say, maybe he's all-powerful, but he's not all-good. Or maybe they'll say he's good, but he's not all-powerful, he's not able to stop it. You know, these questions may be asked by, by any number of people. Maybe it's asked by the widow from 9-11. Maybe it's asked by the Haitian that just lost everything, lost their home. Maybe it's asked by the young family that just had their daughter abducted by the Taliban as they moved into Kabul. You know, maybe it's asked by, by the wife that watched her husband suffer for over 10 years and cancer finally took him. You know, some Christians would run to, and this is their defense, they would run to, they feel like they're kind of like on the fourth and 40 on their own 10-yard line, and they only have one thing that they can do, and that's punt. So they'll change the subject. And so maybe they'll say something else and say, well, maybe they'll run to Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us and our children that we may do all of the words of the law. But I think there's a better answer than that, that one that we don't have to punt, one that actually would use football language, give us a touchdown and help us to win, um, so to speak. Um, but it's not a short answer. Um, it's not a short answer that God's not responsible, man is. Well, God made man. Nor is there a short answer, well, man is a sinner. I had a conversation with a dear friend, and he's been to Haiti several times. He lives in, in um, Michigan, and we were talking about Haiti and about evil and suffering in the world, and he said, well, man's a sinner. Well, it's actually uh, more complicated than that. Nor is the answer, well, Satan's at fault, because then we might say, well, then, then why did God make Satan? Um, if we say that man's a sinner, we might say, well, why did God create man so that he could sin? You see, the answer is none of those things. You know what the answer always comes back to? 
it always comes back to what or to whom? It always comes back to God. The answer is always God. It's not man. It's not man's sinfulness. It's not angels. It's not fallen angels. It's not Satan. It's always God. God is ultimately the one that's in control and in charge. So I want us to talk today about the problem of evil. If I could state it quickly, just as building a backdrop here. Um, evil exists in our world, and we might say it exists in three, three aspects. It exists in the natural world. I mean, our world is, is a dangerous place, um, nat- natural world speaking. In fact, Genesis 2.17, when God's warning to Adam and Eve, he said to them, the day that you eat of it, the tree, the knowledge, and good of evil, you shall surely die. And then he said, speaking of the ground, the cursed is the ground because of you. Pain you shall eat of all the days of your life after they fell. So he warned them, it happened, they fell. So we look at all of the, the, the world, what happens from tidal waves to, to, um, um, to viruses, from earthquakes to tsunamis. The world is, is, is a dangerous place. You know, we talk about the pandemic to the, the pandemic that we're facing right now. 4.37 million people have died. 4.37 million. But do you know back in 1918 and 1919, the pandemic that hit us then was far more serious than influenza? It's anywhere dated from, they, they guess anywhere from 50 to 100 million people died. So the world is a dangerous place. We look at evil exists in the world. Evil exists in man's heart. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, Jeremiah writes in chapter 17, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Man is evil to the core. And this can be seen in many illustrations, but I choose one of the easiest. Hitler. Hitler was just an evil man. And it wasn't enough for Hitler, or should I say he wasn't happy to just have the Jews die. He wanted to have them suffer. So did you know that he got together with Himmler and he figured out how can the Jews suffer more, not just enough to kill them into death camps. So they came up with this um, way for the Jews to suffer more. They would put them in these railroad cars and park the cars on the side of, of the tracks, roads that were abandoned, but they would put quicklime in the floor. You know what quicklime does to you? It causes you to burn. When it's, co- when it's connected with water, it just causes your skin to be inflamed. And they figured that the people could live in those conditions, packed in cars for four days. That's what Hitler did. Besides more than 20 million people killing. So it, it's just evil people in this world. And the third way that evil exists in our world, it exists supernaturally. Um, Satan and his fall and his even evil demons. Revelation 12.4 shows us that one-third of the angels fell with Satan. Um, interesting passage in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, talks about um, an angel. Um, Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 10. It was the first time that God didn't answer his prayer right away. But what happened, it shows us that the angel was sent from God to Daniel to give the answer, but he was held in the air fighting the prince of Persia, for 21 days until that angel called Michael to help him out, and then he was able to be victorious and move on and give Daniel the message. So there, there are fallen demons in this world. Um, we see it when Christ says to Peter, get thee hence behind me, Satan. Or we see it when, it's, when it speaks to Job, 
when he, he, he said, God, give me Job and he'll curse you. Um, we see it in Paul have a thorn in the flesh. So we see demonic activity continually in this world and all about us. But I'll look at three key points as we look at evil in this world. First is that evil exists in the world. We're not going to doubt that. We don't need to belabor that point. Um, evil isn't just in the streets of Philadelphia. It's not just in the streets of Kabul. It's not just in the streets of Trenton. Um, evil is all about us. Um, but secondly, we need to get, and this is a key point to establish now, the sovereign God exists. God is sovereign and he exists. No matter all that I've said, Isaiah chapter 43 slams home this statement. Let me give an illustration background. We were out in um, Utah. We talked to some Mormons, and this is what Mormons believe. Um, we didn't get too much into this conversation, though we did in one of the museums. We got a chance to talk with a lady a little bit about this. But Mormons believe that Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, there are three separate gods. In fact, one of their writers a guy named Lorenzo Snow, I shouldn't say this, one of their early apostles said this, and this characterizes their doctrine. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. Their goal is to become gods and to get your own planet and be able to spin off children for all of eternity. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord, there is no other besides me. There is no God. He is absolutely sovereign. No matter what happens, he is sovereign in what's happening in Afghanistan. He is sovereign in what's happening in Haiti. He hasn't left the throne. He's still absolutely in control. You know, we look back and we could appreciate this throughout the Bible, but one of the first illustrations of this, besides what happened to Adam and Eve, and I'll refer to them later because Genesis 3.15 is an awesome statement of his control, but we get in the story of Joseph in Genesis 50, and the brothers are concerned after their dad has died. And Joseph makes, makes this statement. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. For good. You see, if God had not given, had not moved or allowed his dad to give Joseph the coat, his brothers would never have sold him into slavery. If his brothers never sell him into slavery, Joseph's family never ends up there. What happens to Joseph's family? Now, if they all died in the famine counting the line of Judah, what happens to the Messianic line? So, so God is sovereign. And what God purposes, man may mean it for evil, but behind it all is a God that means it for good. First Chronicles 29, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens. A great passage in Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 makes this same statement just talking of God, of his greatness and who he is. If we have Daniel 4.35, if I could, Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand. That God does as he desires 
because he's sovereign, because he's absolutely in control. You know, not one thing happens outside of his will. Think about that statement. All that happens in this world, not one thing happens outside of his will. You know, might, some might say, well, that's a difficult concept. So to say nothing happens outside of his will, so are you telling me that 9-11 was his will? Are you telling me that it was his will for the Haiti earthquake? Are you telling me that it was his will for the evil that's going on in, in um, Afghanistan? What is your answer? Now, we want to be careful in explaining this. It is his will. But we'll explain that in a moment. You see, it gets to be actually more of a dangerous concept if it's not God's will and his sovereign control. Because when we say that God is not sovereign, that's the issue here. When we're able to, when we make that statement, then things can happen apart from his will. So if I get to be a part in my life that God's not sovereign and this wasn't his will, but somehow it happened, I don't have a biblical God. I don't have a God that's in control. I don't have a God that's, that's able to give comfort and contentment. A God that, that is not in charge is an absolute nightmare. And it's not the biblical God. Again, we're going we're gonna to qualify this in, in, in a moment. You know, there's no, there's no perchance or there's no luck with God. Am I right? There's no coincidence with God. Oh, if this just happens. Uh, God, is, God is sovereign, and God works through all of the, the evil that's happening in the world to accomplish his good purposes. Romans 8, 28, we love to quote, but we put it in this context. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. Colossians 1, 16 all things were created through him and for him. You ready for this? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains everything. Though it may look like chaos, what's happening in the world, he is in absolute sovereign control. He doesn't allow anything to happen apart from his will. Lamentations, Lamentations 3 Verses 37 and 38 continues also to drive home this point. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that, that good and bad comes? We look at that and, you know, we, we start to, to sweat. You know, our foreheads start to sweat and our palms and we feel like, man, I got to rescue my God. You know, this, he needs some help here because it's speaking of, of, of evil coming from, no, he's, he's not the author of evil, but he is the author, the author of evil. But we'll get to that. So God, God, everything that happens, whether it's judgment upon Israel, as we see pictures, because when they drifted from God, whether it would be a famine that would come in or whether it would be the destruction of, of Jerusalem, God allows judgment, but God has his purposes, and he wants to bring about, you ready, renewal through even his judgment. We look at the flood. Here is a 
wicked group of people. It's estimated 10 million to 100 million died in the flood and a small group of family members were saved. But we don't need to rescue God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and who he is. Amos chapter three, verse six says, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Disaster, meager harvest, hostile attack, designed by God to lead his people to repentance. You know, we look at what happened in Iran since 1979. Really, 500 Christians? And we look at the the evil and the darkness and the wickedness and the Taliban and all that they're doing. But who would have thunk it? that we look back and over the last 20 years to see that really global resources put the church in Iran as the fastest growing in the world. And I look at that and and find great comfort because do you look at Christianity sometimes in America and just wonder, it's just so, so anemic. But God, what you're doing in the world is exploding and it's under the, the flag of persecution, execution, but it's people that met the true God, and they're making an impact for God. So, so we start to understand the Genesis 50 passage. You meant it for evil. They mean it for evil. They're going to behead people. They're going to execute people. They're going to do wicked things to them. But under that fire, God's going to explode his church and call many into his family. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45, and I think we'll have it on the screen also, but Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. Isaiah 45, 5 to 7. God wills evil to exist. Now, don't, don't throw those eggs at me just yet, but let's explain this. God wills. is God's, God's will. Verse 5 to 7. I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. Then verse 9, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making, or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Then verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed all who formed him, Ask me of things to come, Um, verse 12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched the heavens. So here God is is talking that that he formed everything. We don't need to have our our hearts beat rapidly. We don't need to have uh, have a sweaty hands or head. Um, That evil, even evil existence and even God's sovereignty they exist and are able to live together, that we're not going to limit the power of God, the sovereignty of God, nor do we limit the holiness of God. What I said earlier, God is the author of the author of sin. God made man, and man made sin. But God knew what man would do, and through it all, you come have screaming onto the horizon, Genesis 3.15, of what his plan is in the midst of man's, man's rebellion against their creator. He says in 15, I am going to send one that will crush, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. 
again, I say to you, the alternative is to have things happen in the world that don't have their origin from God, that, that God is surprised somehow, that things happen that just, by George, just caught him off guard, quite frankly, and you have the Godhead huddling, What's, what are we to do in this evil? But again, the scriptures scream that God is in absolute control. Psalm 22, written hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years before the coming of the Messiah, he, he wrote it all right out there. This is what will happen when the Messiah comes. This is, this is things that will happen to him. Or the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, when he pens this, these incredible familiar words to us, and the suffering servant. This is how he will suffer, but he will take away the sins. He will be a lamb led to the slaughter. And we'll look at Revelation 13, 8 in closing in a few moments. But, but God had his master plan that he wasn't caught off guard. Before he created man, he knew what man would do, and he had it written from the foundations of the earth of what he would do to rescue man. So how are we to understand the existence of evil? How are we to, to understand all that happened? Why did God make man capable of evil choices? Um, to design a God that has limited knowledge or limited power is just not a God found in the Bible. Um, so God, how do we understand this? Again, divine sovereignty does not make God the author of sin because he's absolutely in control. There, we have to distinguish from design and from execution. We have to distinguish from design and execution because God designed a plan that included man's evil but in how it would bring him incredible glory because of what he would do doesn't make him the executor of that evil. Again, Genesis 50 verse 30, God meant it for good but man meant it for evil. So as we look at all of this, God did not create evil but why? Why does evil exist? Why is there evil in our world? Why are we watching the headlines which just causes your stomach to turn or when we get a little deeper and see what they're doing, the Taliban is doing, the people. Why is all of this happening? Does, why God hasn't seen fit to reveal all of his reasons, but the, clearly the greatest reason is why. Why does evil exist? Why does there suffering in the world is it able to bring more praise to God because of the evil? Is God able to be praised because of all that's happening? Is God made more eternally glorious because of the evil? What's the biblical answer? Is it not yes? Is God made more glorious because of the evil? What is the greatest evil no comparison, that happened in this world. Not the rebellion of mankind, what's even greater? Is it not the cross? Is it not putting God the Son on the cross? So as we look at, at, at all of the evil that God has allowed, we praise him because what has been done to overcome the evil and we start to understand all of this evil. And we don't get, okay, I get Deuteronomy 29, 29. We don't know all the purposes of God. But we do know that God allowed evil 
so that he could be more glorified by it because of the price that he paid personally to overcome evil. Ephesians 1, 6. Awesome verse. To the praise of his glorious grace through which he has made us accepted in the beloved. God is just praise. His glorious grace is trumpeted. And then the next verse, which we don't have up there, but in whom we have redemption through his son, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You see, we... Verse 6, thank you. Verse 6 happens, we're able to give him praise because of verse 7, we have redemption through him. So we're able to look at all of the evil of the world and the darkness of the world and the wickedness of mankind and we start to get a better glimpse of the righteousness of God. Romans 3 verse 5 reads, but if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? I'm sorry, but if our unrighteousness important mistake, serves to show the righteousness of God. Here's Israel saying, if our unrighteousness, all the evil that we have done, if it glorifies God's righteousness, what shall we say? See, God has allowed, God's not the author of it. God's sovereign plan was to allow man to do this evil, but he was going to rescue man because man would do the greatest evil and kill his son. Romans 10, verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. Man will continue, many will reject God, trying to establish their own righteousness by what they can do, and they reject God's righteousness. A month ago, we were with our daughter in Queens, and on Lynn and Kara were outside the car, and I was sitting there, and a Jewish family, it was a Saturday, walked by me, and the parents and the little kids, they were walking to their, to their temple. And my heart just ached, because here's a family that just trusting in their own righteousness and keeping the law to strive to have a relationship with God. And yet, they're unrighteous. The unrighteousness of the world shouts forth God's righteousness. Doesn't make it any less, because Christ says in Romans 10, 4, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Man's unrighteousness shouts forth God's righteousness. He paid the price to pay for our sin. He paid the price of all of the evil and the suffering to end the law so that people could put their faith and trust by not striving to achieve their good works, but the good work that he has done. We will never understand the righteousness of God until we go to the cross. We'll never understand evil in the world and suffering the plan of God until we go to the cross. So the answer, why is there suffering and evil in the world is not that, well, God just didn't know or man's a sinner, like it's man's fault, or Satan is is bad person and he convinced them is that God allowed man to do this evil so that he could demonstrate his grace and righteousness by their evil, what they would do. Righteousness, God's sovereignty and grace is always made evident by the cross. And we look at the cross. Here is the one that had the most infinite goodness put on the cross to take the most infinite punishment for all of men 
that were ever made that ever would live to bear their punishment for those dark three hours. Punishment that one man couldn't pay for his own sins for all of eternity, but this one with infinite goodness could take infinite punishment and pay for it in a matter of a second. But he hung on the cross for three hours. That's the infinite goodness. That's the infinite righteousness of God put on display for the world to see and what he accomplished on our behalf. We'll never understand the majesty of the cross. We'll never understand the majesty, I'm sorry, we'll never understand God's majesty without understanding or seeing the cross. We'll never understand what God has done or what he's doing until we see his righteousness as displayed continually. Turn with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 1 as we... Um, aim to wrap up. Ephesians 1, the ultimate aim that we find, explanation of all of the evil and suffering in the world and why it happens, it, it displays the greatness. You ready? It displays the greatness of the grace of God. There is no better answer, I believe. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Because God wants to display his amazing grace and is evident by the cross. That Jesus Christ, God the Son, came to suffer for you and for me. He didn't need to. God would not have been wrong had God just done this for all of eternity. Just watch people born and just walk right by him and to step into hell, eternal separation. God would not have been evil. But God's grace and goodness is evident by him now stepping into the picture and taking the greatest pain and suffering, sin, separation within the Godhead upon himself to pay for man's sin. Ephesians 1, um, really 4 to 7. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So Christ, through Christ, continually stated in this passage, in fact, verses 6, 12, and 14 talk about for the, before the foundation of the world and his grace, that Christ came to pay for our sin. Christ came to bear the price that we should have, that should have been ours. Let me show you one last verse, if you would turn back with me um, briefly. Um, chapter 13 of Revelation, chapter, Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, and then we'll drop to Revelation chapter 5 in closing. Look at Revelation 13, one verse, verse 8. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all who dwell, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name, okay, they're worshiping the beast, they're giving worship to the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written, do you see that? Has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So there's going to be worship on earth to the beast and everyone that will worship him, God says, are the ones whose names were not written down. Did you catch that? Before the foundation of the world, look what it says, of the lamb who was slain. That word slain really means to be slaughtered. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about before the world was ever created, as it says in Peter, God had this plan. And the lamb was going to be put on the, on the cross. In fact, 
It's so brutal. It's talked about that he would be slaughtered on the cross. So God saw all of this evil, and his answer was going to be the cross before man ate of that fruit in the garden. Turn back a couple pages. So what is the goal of the entire history of redemption going to be throughout eternity? What is God's goal? As God looks at eternity, what is it that he's anticipating? What is it that he's creating? What is his goal? Listen to this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Listen to the song that will be sung throughout eternity. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth forever. The centerpiece of worship in heaven for all of eternity is going to be the cross. We're going to worship him because we will remember the cross, man's greatest evil on the most infinite person. And all the evil and the suffering of the world, it's answered in the cross as to what he would do. So what is the answer for our suffering and our pain and the hardship and the difficulties that we face? It's always the cross. It comes back to the cross. So it's an answer that people may not be happy with, But why did God allow suffering? So that his grace could be displayed for all of eternity and that we would shout through eternity, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive all that we're able to give to him. So God ordained, he ordained what is to come to pass. It's not a happenstance, it's not an accident, it's God's sovereign will. Some people are comfortable to slide in the word allow versus ordain. The bottom line is God's sovereign, God's in control. Nothing happens by the will of man. But God allowed, God ordained the evil to happen so that his grace could be put on display, so that he could be magnified throughout eternity. Man is the author of sin. Man is the author of evil. And God had that in his plan to not stop him from that evil so that he would act and pay the price so that we could praise him for all of eternity. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I wish we had time for questions, but it is 8.01. I could sit down and have pastor come up and answer all the questions. God is good. And how do we end it? All the time. And all the time, God is good. God is holy. We never get away from that. Our hearts may ache. We may not understand. But I know that he paid the price for the most awful sin that man can commit. And we shall have all of eternity to praise him. The grace and righteousness of God is put on display. God, we love you. As we strive to defend the faith, but God, we don't need to defend you. You defend yourself. God, we want to fall in line and bow on bended knee before you that you're sovereign, that you're absolutely in control. May we have the heart and mind of a Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
no matter what may come in our lives. God, we continue, though, to pray for heartache in this world. We pray for Haiti. We pray for Afghanistan. God, for your name to be advanced. In Christ's name I pray, amen.